Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 440 for Wednesday, October 6th. Today on the show, we've got your golden nuggets from the guys at Club and Country. The Nashville Predators have some very interesting roster decisions they're going to have to make over the next week. Trey Wallace of OutKick joins us to answer the question, are the Vols good at football? But we begin with just the next chapter in the Urban Meyer saga that is unfolding down in Jacksonville. My guys over at the Kingston Group build this podcast, the 440, every single morning for free for you. So remember them. If you're thinking about doing some work on your home, they are a locally owned, award-winning custom home and remodeling firm. And they know it takes a lot of time and effort and thinking before you make a big decision or big spend on your home. So make sure you talk to the Kingston Group. They'll help you with that process, whether it's two years out or five years out. Just talk to them. BuildKG.com is the website. That's the Kingston Group, BuildKG.com. So Urban Meyer, one of the greatest college football coaches in history, certainly of the modern era, and his most recent ass-grabbing incident at a bar in Ohio with a woman who was definitely not his wife, has now apparently triggered all types of closed-door meetings in Jacksonville, according to Michael Lombardi. First of all, aren't most meetings closed-door? But that's neither here nor there. And secondly, this incident, if you want to call it that, is a comically lame reason to fire Urban Meyer. If, in fact, that is what the Jaguars are looking to do. Just for fun, let's run down a list of things that are on old Herb's off-the-field resume. During his six-year tenure at Florida, he had 31 different players arrested, and that doesn't include any role he had in covering up for Aaron Hernandez, who attempted to kill two people during his time on campus. He publicly lied when he left Florida, saying he was retiring due to health reasons and wanting to spend time with his family, saying, quote, at the end of the day, I'm very convinced that you're going to be judged on how you are as a husband and as a father and not on how many bowl games we won, end quote. He then immediately took a job working for ESPN in which he needed to travel every single weekend. Then he immediately took a job coaching again at one of the biggest programs in America. I'm sure that wasn't time consuming at all. He hired and somehow protected an alleged domestic abuser for a decade on both his Florida and Ohio State staffs. He lied about his knowledge of the situation and was suspended for it by his own university. He then retired for health reasons again, saying he was done with coaching, which turned out, shockingly, not to be true. But before ever coaching a game in Jacksonville, Meyer was subpoenaed in a federal lawsuit against an assistant coach he hired immediately after the guy had been fired and was being sued for basically being a giant racist. And for good measure, he, of course, was fined $300,000 for violating NFL practice policy, something that you never get fined for at Ohio State or Florida. So let's ask ourselves, where does flirting with women who are not your wife or infidelity even rank on the Urban Meyer scale of human debris? Pretty low, to be honest. But let's not let that take away from our fun. Titans fans, enjoy the self-destructing taking place currently in Jacksonville. But you better get your laughs in now, because it's not a matter of if he leaves the Jags, but when. And when he does, you can bet he will be right back on the sidelines of a premier college football program doing highly questionable and extremely disingenuous things to win yet another national championship. He's unequivocally one of the best coaches of our generation in this sport. And he's unequivocally one of the worst dudes in this sport. And I, for one, certainly didn't need to see him poking some rando at the bar to know about that. We had Trey Wallace from OutKick, formerly of Rocky Top Insider, on our Fringe Element podcast this week, out every single Wednesday covering SEC football with Stephen Godfrey, Aaron Dugan, and yours truly. And I had one very simple question for him. 
are the volunteers good at football now? I mean, we're, we're sitting here in this spot, and they put up 62 points against Missouri. Look, Missouri's defense is horrible. Their linebackers are horrible, and I, and I hate to be the one that uh, hate on a, a group of players. I don't think they're being coached up well enough. I think they fired the wrong person on Sunday. They should have fired the defensive coordinator, not the defensive line coach. But you look at Tennessee and what they're able to do, Braden, they're, they're running the football without their starting center. You know, they're moving Jerome Carvin over. They're playing, you know, they're playing Ollie Lane at the guard position. And they rush for over 470 yards. But we've seen this Tennessee team rush the football this season anyway. So that, you know, I I think the numbers surprise folks, but I don't think the running game does. Because I think Tyon Evans is really good running back. I think Jabari Small compliments him well if he can get healthy and stay healthy with that shoulder. But then you look at what Hendon Hooker can bring to the table as well. Like, he's not making mistakes. He's, he's, he's elusive. He's hitting his guys down the field in stride. He only had one overthrow this past weekend, and he finally took the job. You know, Josh Heupel says, hey, Hendon Hooker's our starting quarterback. You haven't, we haven't seen that all season where Josh Heupel says, okay, this guy's our starter. That means he's earned the trust of the coaching staff, and, and they got a big game against South Carolina. But – I mean, I look at the defense. I mean, would you expect the defense to be playing as 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 good as they have so far this season? I th- like, I think that's a surprise point out of all of this, besides the offense, Braden. Look, I agree with them on a few things here that do, in fact, indicate that maybe, possibly, Tennessee is decent at football. They have an established starting quarterback who knows how to run the offense. They have a defense that is playing well above its talent level and is overachieving. And clearly, this team enjoys playing very hard. These are all things that you could not say about previous Tennessee teams under previous coaching staffs. So while there is still a very, very long way to go, there has definitely been some major progress in Knoxville, and it came in the form of a 60-point performance and a W on the road in a critical situation. If you'd like to hear my entire conversation with Trey Wallace about all things Tennessee and the SEC, be sure to check out the Fringe Element podcast out every single Wednesday, everywhere podcasts are found. It is Wednesday, so it's time for your golden nuggets from the guys over at the Club and Country Podcast, your Nashville SC podcast of record out every single Tuesday. We try to make you guys smarter soccer fans each week with one tiny morsel, one nugget of information that you can take with you. And this week, Tim Sullivan and Wes Bowling are talking about something that's never happened in Nashville SC history. It's the first time in Nashville SC history that the club led by multiple goals and failed to win. So a draw against Orlando, I think you and I are both going to agree that normally that's a pretty dang good result, especially Mm -hmm. when Nashville needed to just hold off Orlando, couldn't afford to lose. But given the opportunity cost, maybe the most deflating scoreline of the season. Yeah, I mean, you and I spent the first couple months of the season talking about how Nashville hadn't conceded at all while leading, much less by two goals and giving up both goals back to, to give up the draw. So this is a team designed to get shutouts when it doesn't need a goal itself. So once you go up, you don't have to worry about scoring a whole lot. And that's what makes this result all the more disappointing because you haven't seen it from this team and you certainly haven't seen them give back two goals. There was your golden nugget for this week from Wes and Tim, even if it wasn't quite as golden as we'd like it to be. Be sure to check out the Club and Country podcast out every single Tuesday everywhere podcasts are found. After dropping their first two preseason games to Florida last week and then scoring 12 goals in a home-and-home against Tampa over the weekend in two wins, Nashville beat Carolina 3-2 in preseason game number five on Tuesday night. The score is largely irrelevant, and the preseason schedule will conclude with a home game against the Hurricanes on Saturday. 
More importantly, the Preds are trying to iron out their starting lineup and will have to make some tough roster calls. The start of the regular season is next Thursday, October 14th, against expansion team Seattle, and the team will need to be down to 23 players at that point. Nashville carried 28 players in Tuesday's preseason win over Carolina, so there are some tough decisions looming for John Hines and David Poyle. Hines rolled out Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, and Matt Duchesne on the top line, who scored right away on Tuesday, and have had plenty of life in the preseason. Then he went with Ellie Tolvanen, and Mikhail Granlund, and Philip Tomasino on the second line, which is fascinating because the only player who was scratched who would even be remotely considered a top six forward on Tuesday night was Luke Cunnan. So it might be an indicator of just how highly this staff thinks of the prized prospect Tomasino, who already wears a normal hockey number, 26. And of course, he finished the game in overtime with the game winner off of a Philip Forsberg feed in what fans can only hope is perfect foreshadowing for an 82-game season. Igor Asanafiev is also an interesting piece they will have to make a decision on. He just looks the part already. These tough decisions were supposed to include former third-round pick Rem Pitlick. The AHL scoring machine was placed on waivers on Monday and then claimed by the Minnesota Wild on Tuesday in what was a very curious move by the team. Whether or not he was going to contribute this year or not, he played 10 games last season for the team, he was unequivocally one of the top offensive prospects in the system, and losing him hurts the depth of the Preds farm system regardless. It was a strange decision, one that Adam Vingan and I will discuss on the Gold Standard coming up on Thursday's episode. Rate, review, and subscribe. Of course, the 440 brought to you by the Kingston Group, locally owned, award-winning for a reason. BuildKG.com is the website. Make sure if you're going to do some work on your house, just have a conversation with my guys over at the Kingston Group. It will be beneficial to you even if you don't use them. BuildKG.com is the website. Remember the name, the Kingston Group. Thank you guys all for listening. My name is Braden Gall. Follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Please share the show. This has been the 440 for Wednesday, October 6th. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler.